Hello everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Clear as Mud, where we talk to game developers from all walks of life about their personal and professional journeys. I'm your host, Maze Whiteley. As always, our show is presented by Mudstack, the only asset management and collaboration platform custom-built for game studios and digital artists. Mudstack is now free for artists, so sign up today to improve your art production pipeline. For more information, head over to mudstack.com or sign up for our Discord server to speak with our product team directly. Today, we're talking with Dave Bronco, Community Manager at the Game Developers World Championship. Dave shares his journey from working in finance to taking a bold leap, moving halfway around the world to Finland to pursue a career in game development. We talk about the importance of creating a positive and engaged community around your game, using creative early marketing strategies to promote your game, and the trends that he sees emerging from the most successful games submitted to the GDWC. So without further ado, here's Dave. What first got you interested in working in game development? Actually, my my best friend who lived just across the street from me, his parents, they owned a, a video rental store. So, of course, they had video games there. So we would just hang out all the time and we had access to basically all video games uh, in a sense. So it was really fun that at home, you know, I got to play so much. And then with my best friend on weekends, we would just hang out and play whatever we wanted. So that's always been like the foundation was set there from a really early age. Um, and then as I grew grew up and then went to, into high school, indie games were starting to pick up and that's sort of like drew me in even deeper because then it, it felt like possible to, to make games because when you look at AAA games or like at the time it was Metal Gear Solid 4 or GTA was coming out I'm like yeah. I have no idea how this is like it seems impossible I don't know how anyone's making these games but then they, with the yeah, rise of indie games it felt like this is attainable like pe- people can do this stuff I mean I, I don't know how but it, it, it feels like it felt like attainable do you do you recall any um games from from that time like any indie games that stick out to you where you're like oh wow this is this is totally different and attainable yeah like uh probably braid is the the one i go to because if it you know it felt so familiar it's a platformer like mario style but it had this really cool time mechanic and rewind mechanic and then you could you know use puzzles with the rewind mechanic so i think that was the, the probably one of the first ones where i was kind of just really blown away plus i mean it's just a really beautiful game and it has a cool story with it as well. So I'd say that's probably the first one where I felt like this is something completely different than the double A AA or triple A that we we're getting at the time. And then you said um, before we talked and you said you had a background in finance. So yeah. that's that's a brave transition of careers. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? When I went to to college, I had the choice of, all right, what am I going to do? I, I obviously want to work in games, but I had this sort of fear that if, because it's such a competitive industry and so difficult to break in, that if I go and I try and I spend however many thousands to go to school and how many years, and then all of a sudden I can't get a job and it feels impossible and I just feel defeated that it would ruin the thing I love the most. So I thought that, all right, I'll just play it safe and I'll do something that I can guarantee it will pay the bills and, you know, I, I can get by and have, a, have a, a good, comfortable life. So I went to and worked in finance. So I did that in Toronto until I moved to Helsinki, where I'm now, uh, Helsinki, Finland, uh, about five years ago. When I moved here, I thought that, oh, I'll just come in here to a new country with a completely different language and uh, just just get a job in finance, no problem. But quickly learned that that was not the case. Um, so I had to quickly make a, a new a change. And I figured, well, I have nothing to lose at this point. I'm in a new country. I, I, I'm starting a new life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to go study for, for game design. So I was a bit apprehensive at first because I thought, oh, everyone, I'm going to go to school. Everyone's going to be 18, 19, 20. I'm going to be this old dude, 30 in, in my class. But it wasn't the case. We had like such a, a wide spectrum of people from different walks of life. So it was actually really welcoming for, for someone who thought that I maybe maybe I've, I've passed uh, that sort of 
time timeline that people go to school for this sort of thing. So, but yeah, that's how I ended up in uh, where I am now and doing game game development. It used to be, like you said, that there was this very clear career trajectory if you wanted to be involved in games and indie games and smaller studios have proliferated and they've really opened the doors for a lot of people at different points in their life, you know, to come and bring bring a fresh perspective into the game development world. And I think we've we've seen that reflected in the games that are getting made today. They're so they're so diverse in their approach to narrative design, artistic design, different different creative leaps and bounds that they've made. And I think that it's directly correlated with the the diversification and the inclusivity of the game industry that the indie game community has fostered. So so as someone who's worn many hats on a game development team, uh, what is some advice you'd give to someone who's trying to break into the industry and they just don't know where to start? If you're right at the beginning, like when I first went to school and tried to even just find my place within a group of students or the industry is just just be open to trying anything and, and everything that really can come your way or present itself. All sorts of opportunities will absolutely come your way. So there's game jams or in game jam groups, there might be all of a sudden they're missing an artist or audio design and you might not know. Not, might not know how to do it, but neither does anyone else on the team. So why not just try it out? And everyone will be thankful that someone's willing to take that up and try it. That's how it happened for me. The first game I made with a group of students. Well, I, I can tell you a bit more about that because it's kind, of, it's kind of funny how it happened. We we were all in school in our, our second semester. So the summer break was coming up and someone had the, this idea that, hey, who wants to make a game over the summer? Let's get a, a group of students together and let's just make our, our first game outside of school. So there were about like 20 of us, I think, who, uh, sorry, not 20, 12, 12 of us who were like, yeah, really excited. Let's do that. And that was like April. But by the time that June rolled around, about half the people then left because they're like, no, actually, I'm going to, especially in Finland, you know, summers are so cherished because they're two months long, basically. So people really cherish the, the, the time to be outside. So half the group immediately left and we had assigned, okay, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. So all of a sudden, yeah, it was in that situation where we were missing some artists and I'm not an artist at all, but I figured that, hey, I can I can probably do pixel art. You know, I have at least a foundation in understanding art and color theory and stuff like that. So let's do something I'm comfortable with and let's make a game in that sense. So I immediately became like the environment artist, even though I had no idea what I was doing, but no one else did. So I guess, yeah, to, to your question, just just be open to trying trying all sorts of things because you might be surprised at what you enjoy doing or what you discover as like a, a passion. I, I think that it's, it's a good practice going forward because one of the things that I love about game development teams is that they are so collaborative and they're coming from a lot of different fresh perspectives, right? But I think that if you do kind of like wet your feet a little bit in all of the different avenues that you could go down, you're going to have a more clear and better understanding and respect for the craft of all of the different people on a team. I think that, you know, getting a sense of community within your game development team is really important and having a clear line of communication because if something happens down the line, somebody might have somebody might have a, a question that they come to you with and they're like, hey, like, do you have any background in this? And if, if you do like really experiment and branch out and stuff, you can be like, oh, okay, yeah, actually, like I've I've worked on something very similar, you know, like a long time ago, maybe, but I learned X, Y, and Z from it. And sort of it's it's a pooled knowledge, a pooled experience and stuff. A tight-knit community forms around games. To that point, I, I completely agree with understanding what other people's roles are or their timelines, because you might be like, oh, I need this character animation. Maybe as, a, as someone who just does audio or level design, you expect it to be done within a week. It could take weeks. Who knows, right? Like, so having an understanding of what what encompasses like the the task or 
sort of the timelines for the whatever the different roles are. It's really important. So like you said, just to keep the communication open and knowing what people are doing and what they're tackling. What are some of the unique and creative ways you've seen game developers engage with their community and build strong relationships on their team? Working with Game Developers World Championship, you've probably encountered thousands and thousands of different different games and different studios and stuff. So yeah, that's that's a really good question because and not, not all games have like really uh, engaged communities, but for the ones who do, there's just so many different approaches and I think it speaks a lot to what sort of game you're making or the, the people behind them. I think the one that seems to be really successful and that I try to implore as well as just having this really welcoming and kind and loving community it's it's nice when people feel welcomed and that's what we try to foster with with our, our our groups as well one thing that's been kind of difficult to tackle is because of the huge amount of games in their communities that we deal with there are some games with some more I guess toxic communities that then seep into our community it's it's kind of difficult to to tackle them because it's it's you want to have that same sort of approach that you you've fostered already like this love and sharing and wanting to, to talk with with other people but you'll get some comments of hey how come why aren't you fixing this or why aren't you doing that we're just trying to share this game with other developers or other people in the community the, the point is yeah that I, I think the one that has been really successful is finding the same sort of people who who you want to make the game for find those people who also will share your message and be sort of the evangelists for your game and they'll find the same people who have the same mentality who want to share about the game and just talk about all all aspects if it's if it's the story or the characters or even the team making the game that that's that's something that i think you're seeing a lot more especially with indie games and even on the AAA side there are lots of like faces for the games or the companies that people get to know and people sort of respect the people behind them are amazing we've we've had so many interesting guests on the podcast and i'm always just blown away by just their perspectives and what they bring to the table and so i think there is kind of a better appreciation these days for the people who are working on on these these masterful projects because it's 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 elevated you know it's it's vastly elevated as like an art form i that people recognize in in just the general public as well yeah absolutely i'm kind of i'm kind of curious your experience with the game developers world championship is unique and that you're seeing such a high volume of submissions and and you're so you're seeing this kind of big massive you know large scale picture of like what people are making and what they're interested in and so i'm i'm curious the the studios that you've seen that are more successful at like marketing their game or pitching their game and stuff. What are the what are the kind of things that stand out to you that have stood out to you about their their strategies? That's a good question. Well, with the Game Development World Championship, with the, last year we had three thousand seven hundred games. So that's even if you looked at ten games every day, that still wouldn't cover all of the games. So it, you're right; it's a massive amount of, of games that we we see through our competition, and a lot of them also don't really aren't trying to really promote their games or or foster a community in that sense. They're just kind of putting name on our platform and, and hoping that uh, maybe they'll get some some recognition or some, some promotion but for the for the really successful ones I think from from my point of view because I do the community management and, and, and social media I think the really successful ones are the ones who are able to engage their fans and if you're on Twitter you're, you're promoting your game and all of a sudden you're trying to promote something that's yeah if, if if you have a game that you have your community and they just want to hear about the game but to, to have fans of your game excited about something beyond the game as we mentioned with 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 the people behind the games like the staff or the creators and now the the competition that we're doing the ones who are really successful are the ones who are able to take their audience but sort of like shift them around to get them excited about not just the game but other things surrounding the game like our competition we've had in the past fan choice categories so depending on the size of your game or the team funding stuff like that you'll get placed into different categories so we had this fan choice where it was all about the fan votes and we got to see 
these hundreds of different studios really try to engage their communities and try to get them to vote for a competition. And uh, it's been really great. And then I think the ones who are the most successful are the ones who go on Twitter or Instagram and create content around our competition. So they'll create some videos, like try to get people to get engaged and speak directly to their audience and try to get them to come vote for, for our competition. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of value in doing something like submitting, you know, to a game jam or, or you know, doing doing any of those kinds of things where you're kind of putting your work out there. Because I mean, eventually, if you, you know, if you want to make a career out of gaming, there's a the, there's a really big, important step that I think a lot of people don't think about. And it's networking, and it's getting people interested in projects that you're working on and getting them to be confident in you because, you know, games are expensive, you're asking people to shell out, you know, a decent chunk of their their paycheck from the day and stuff and and also take time to play to play your game that you made and doing things like that is is really good practice even if you don't think you're going to win you know like if it's really good practice for if you are going to go to the next step and um like see if you can get published you know with there's several different indie publishing companies now that really want to work with these smaller teams and help them succeed when you're going to a publisher and you can say like oh i've submitted my game to x y and z contests and stuff and even if you haven't won you like just showing that initiative is really important i i'm definitely curious like have you seen any um have you seen any like really just poor submissions like what are what are some things (laughs) that people have done and and you don't have to be specific obviously but that you're just like oh why did you that that was (laughs) so wrong you know well so there are quite a few of those games we we keep our platform open for everyone to submit their games there's no submission fee either because the the mentality is that like um if we ask for 20 bucks to to put your game in 20 20 american can mean a lot more in different countries or people from different like walks of life. So we, we keep it free. So we welcome everyone to submit their games. And there are a lot of games that it's people's very first game, or maybe they're a solo developer and they're just a programmer or just an artist. So you're, you're seeing a lot of a lack of different expertise in their games you can't really fault them for that either because they just kind of they're excited to showcase their very first game which anyone who's made a game you know that's a very exciting moment so there are a lot of games in that sense but i'd say that the the one thing um one advice i can give for any sort of indie team or game developers putting putting effort and time into their game trailers i think that's especially when you go to publishers as well that if you don't have a good trailer or a trailer of you know a good length some 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 people will submit trailers that are three or five minutes and in our case when we have to look at dozens of games or hundreds of games every day depending on what the submissions are if you have a trailer that's three or five minutes unfortunately i don't i don't really have the time or bandwidth to watch that whole thing so it's good to have like a really curated and sort of manicured trailer so that people can digest it and get the idea right away and they don't have to get, sit through like a really long trailer because I think you re- you don't really need that either. I, I'm not too sure what more you can show someone after the first minute. A lot of it will, will kind of be the same. It, it doesn't need to be that long. So yeah, to answer your question, I think the, the trailer is the, the big thing that I often see and I'm like, oh, I wish that this was a little bit better than maybe it would have caught my attention in a different way. Because I, I think now you're maybe showcasing your your game in a, in a bad light because you didn't really put any effort into, you just sort of captured straight three minutes of gameplay and that was it. Their impulse is probably that, oh, Oh, like 
I'm just going to be brutally honest and show like, this is just the raw gameplay footage. And it's like to somebody who might play, who's intending on playing the game, like on a regular basis, they, they do want to see that they want to see those hour long videos and stuff, but you, you need to get people hyped first, you know? And so there's, there's kind of diminishing returns. The, the more detail you go into, sometimes you just want to kind of tantalize people, you know, and give them like, give them just, you know, give them a taste of, of the best part and get them excited and let their imagination kind of do a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, I think that that's one of the reasons why studios don't talk about their games as much before they're released. There's something enticing and mysterious when you don't really know as much about a project. Are there any upcoming trends in the game industry that you find exciting that are getting you like getting you hyped other maybe not specifically <laughs> games but sort of like what what is happening in the game community right now? I mean, we've seen leaps and bounds in the quality that indie studios can make their games like once um especially with like Unreal Engine and Unity sort of consolidating people's skill sets and allowing them to kind of all play in the same playground, you know? So are there any trends like that that you're excited about? Yeah, I'll actually start on a negative uh, tone and then I'll switch to the the more positive because there are so many trends. Some are, uh, from my point of view, maybe bad and then some are good, obviously. So a lot of the bad ones is whenever there's big indie hits, like uh, last year was uh, Vampire Survivors. And so there were dozens and dozens of Vampire Survivor clones which some, you know, maybe were even better than than Vampire Survivors. But I think when you're just recreating an indie hit, you're sort of losing a lot of the charm or creativity that maybe you had if you try to implement other mechanics or mix other genres in there. So I think that that's one thing that I'm seeing a lot of clones of games that, you know, they're already doing maybe better or you're not changing things enough to really make it unique for your own. On the positive side, the, the thing that I've, been really enjoying from from indie games and the trends is just the the mashups of of genres so recently the indie game dredge just came out for those who don't know you're you you just play as a boat and you're fishing so actually, i actually haven't played it myself yet I'm, i've i've been wanting to play it but i'll have I to get to the it demo at oh, day okay. of the devs in yeah. november and talked with the development team and they're they're lovely wonderful people and yeah. stuff and the game's so it's so weird and different right? and i yeah. kind of i love that yeah so i mean you, you play as a boat and you're just fishing for fish but then there's this whole creepy sort of Lovecraftian horror thing to it as well that sort of seeps in during the night and you have this sort of like little bit of horror elements. And I can't name any other game who's done something like that. I recently played a, a student game that has similar vibes. It's called Wretched Depths, uh, but it's sort of Silent Hill meets a fishing game with Lovecraftian horror as well. So it's sort of like Dredge, but you play as a fisherman in sort of a Silent Hill sort of town where everyone's sort of creepy and weird. And then you go fishing and you can upgrade your your gear and get a new fishing rod or a different bait. The deeper you get into the lake, the weirder the fish are. And just then you have to deal with the weird people in the town. And it's it's just really cool. So there were sort of mashups that you see of different genres. And now there's like chess combat or any sort of like combinations that don't exist. And now they're sort of coming together. I, I think those are always the most interesting because it's stuff that you you are familiar with, but not exactly because it's it's a mashup of two things that don't exist um, before. One that immediately stuck out to me that I played last year was uh, Cult of the Lamb. Oh, yeah. uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to play that, but that game yeah. is just something else. It's like combines this like really dark, 
gruesome, almost like Hades like combat mechanics, but then there's also like it's Animal Crossing too at the <laughs> yeah. same time, weirdly. And it's like you just wouldn't think that it would work, but oh gosh, it works so well. And I think that that speaks to the indie community. And one of the things that I really like about, about indie games is that they are more willing often to take risks yeah. and, you know, go outside of the sort of paint by numbers formula of like an FPS or something like that, you know, like, or if they do do an FPS, they're going to have something, a unique spin on it and stuff yeah. because they kind of know inherently that they're not going to make the next call of duty no. franchise there's no right? point in competing with call of duty it's, no they, you, they've you already mastered compete it. with those teams yeah. Yeah. and so i think instead they're like well what can we do that makes us stand out and different but also that just showcases our creativity and our willingness to take risks and be bold i think that that's that's one of the things that, that inspires me and i'll pick up a, a game just out of curiosity, not not necessarily out of like um, like any experience with a genre necessarily, but I'm just like, oh, that sounds like the Cult of the Lamb game or, or yeah. Dredge as well. I'm just like, these games are unique and interesting. And the creativity that comes from indie games or smaller studios where they can take those risks and they have those communities that want those weird or like unique experiences. Those are my favorite. Because the possibilities are endless, the likelihood that your wacky, crazy idea is going to find other people who are interested in it is actually higher than you would think, you know, yeah. um, because it's so easy today to not make a game, but it's easy to, <laughs> once you build your game, to get it out there into the world somehow, put it on Steam, you know, like that sort of self-publishing sparked the whole indie game revolution and stuff has been super cool. Do you have any advice for people besides like the trailer of when they are putting their games on Steam and stuff? Anything you've seen that really stood out to you that made you like go oh that's that's clever that's a clever strategy that they're using yeah that's it's actually one thing that you touched on earlier and it's 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 marketing i think that's one thing that a lot of uh indie devs depending on where they are in their careers maybe they they don't consider until it's too late that you really probably should have someone focus on on marketing as early as possible just to sort of get an idea of who your audience will be and how to target them and how to build that audience if it's through social media or videos or trailers and then having to build those assets ready in time so if you need to make a trailer you have the stuff ready it, it is it does come down to the marketing and just how well can you present your game how well can you speak about it and if you're pitching to uh, publishers same thing like have someone who who can pitch and who knows the business because as as important as it is to have strong developers who can make the game it's as equally important to have someone who can market it and then sell it to publishers because without them you might just have an amazing product that no one knows about and then you can't sell because too late the game's ready and no one has focused on trying to do the development of the business side of things or the marketing, which sucks because I think for a lot of creatives, they just want to focus on making the game. And I, yeah. I've been there too. That was our first game. We've made our first game and then um, we were like, oh, let's keep it a secret. And then once it's ready, we're going to announce it to the world and we're going to have a million downloads and everyone's going to love it. And so we did that. And then game was ready. We put it on Steam and then on social media with our 12 followers, like, hey, the game's out. Everyone share it, tell everyone. And yeah, we had a couple thousand downloads, but it wasn't, I don't know what our expectations were, but completely off considering from from early on the marketing and then the business side of the the game as well is important i you hit on a really good point of thinking early on because once you release a game i mean this isn't necessarily a hard and fast rule but there is like a window of time from when you release a game and put it out there that if it doesn't get 
some type of traction in that window of time, it's probably not going to get traction. And it's just going to fall sadly into like the abyss of, you know, of Of steam steam or wherever. (laughs) And, And it's not to say that there's not like hope and that you can't like try and there's tons of awesome like comeback stories yeah like among us like is, is one of them but exactly. those are, are so rare they are they're rare i think because they get so much notoriety it inflates people's ideas mm. of like oh like you know i don't have to worry about it it'll eventually be a meme and go viral something yeah, like yeah. that you know yeah. and it's like that's just you have to make it that meme you have to if you really want your game to get played by a bunch of people and get out there and get noticed and stuff you have to do that sort of heavy lifting and leg work and it's the same with people who make films people who write books it's the it's the thing that they they didn't go to school for you know that's usually gonna do a lot of the heavy lifting for them which is marketing and so there's a lot of opportunities out there i think i always encourage people to just you know look online and go go on youtube and and look there's there's so many um awesome people in in the game marketing community who who there's free information out there to find it and and listen to it and try and implement those things as early as possible there's usually one person if you're if you're a single person making a game and you're not an outgoing person this is probably not going to work but there's usually one person on your team who is like a talker and who's like (laughs) who who is like a people front-facing person so you just got to find them and stuff and you know it could be anybody on the team and stuff if they're that guy or that girl or whoever put them out there and get them just to talk about it if if there's an opportunity there you should take it like if you are that chatty person who likes to talk with people try it you might you might find that you actually really like doing the pitching or trying to sell your game or talking to people in a way to bring money to your game so that you can keep develop developing it or future titles as well there's unconventional strategies too you know it doesn't have to be um like you mentioned like put it as a facebook post with with your 12 followers and stuff like that's the very like low hanging fruit and yeah. stuff but there's there's some other things that you can do too like you know go on podcasts and stuff that's that's this creative strategy and try and find some influencers send them a copy of your game if play it on you know twitch or something like that who knows like that's that's i think you have to build a community around it and get people interested in it probably before it comes out so maybe you really need to focus on finding communities outside of game developers because it's so easy to to get into communities either on reddit or discord or Twitter, whatever social media, everyone in those communities, they're just sharing their games, which is which is awesome because other developers might discover your games. But the problem is a lot of times those communities or groups of people, they're, they're only developers. So they're just there to share about their games. And you're, you're not finding the players. That's really the hardest thing to do is trying to find actual players to, to play your game. But like you said, podcasts are a great way. Or if you are able to go to conventions, those are where there are hundreds or thousands of fans course there can be costs uh high costs that go with that but there might be some foundations or promotion promotional ways for you to uh, to attend those those events but yeah make sure that you find the actual players and not just other game developers who uh, want to talk about their games as well well yeah. thank you so much dave i really appreciate you taking the time um to come on the clear as mud podcast All right, that's going to wrap up this week's episode. We want to thank Dave again for being our guest. And as always, we want to say thank you to Mudstack. To learn more about Mudstack, head over to mudstack.com. Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter and join our community on Discord. We want to say thank you for listening and we'll see you again next time on Clear as Mud.